Welcome, everybody, to Podcasts and Players. I'm your lovable little host, cool boy Shane. And with me today, I have a new guest who you might have seen uh, involved in the YouTube channel, Dear Soccer Pictures, as the DM. Uh, you can find him online as well as Kendall the Human. Please welcome Kendall. Hello. Hello, audience. I am in your computer. <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for agreeing to an interview kind of late for you, I, I realize. Uh, I didn't... Uh, it's it's a bit of an unfortunate time difference because it's 14 hours, so no matter what, someone's got to wake up early and someone's got to stay up late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done a couple streams with some Americans now and then, and it's always like, it's it's usually me doing the the odd time, so kind of used to it. I don't mind. I'm a bit of a night walker, so I was probably going to be awake around this time anyway. We did discuss on the um, uh, what was it the uh the Discord? God, I called it the Discord. What's wrong with me? Uh, that the like Discord. <laughs> the Discord. The Discord. We did discuss that sleep is for the weak, and I realized also healthy people sleep a lot too. So really, when you think about it, it encompasses everybody. But I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah, sleep plays a part in most people's life. I, I think what we really need to say. Gonna go out on a limb and say that cool yeah. people don't sleep. That's what we really yeah. need to say. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, but hey, thank you for being on. Uh, let's, uh, anytime let's fill up the Frank of this shit and jump right into it. Okay. We'll start with just, I want to get to know you a little bit better, Kendall. Like, uh, how did you start with Dungeons and Dragons and or tabletop RPGs? Like, where did that begin for you? That began in the second year of acting school where we were me, myself, and a couple of people in my year were going through the usual second year existential crisis and wondering how we could uh, chill out a little bit or get our minds off of everything. And some of the year above us is like, I play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm a DM. I could, that's, that's what I do. I could take you guys for a game. And we were like, yeah, okay, try something new. And yeah, that was, the rest is history. So would the, would you consider that a bit of a more recent uh, start with Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, definitely. Um, it was 2015, I would say. So I'm I still consider myself pretty new to the scene. Like I meet, I've met some people who have been like DMing since the early editions and stuff, and it's always amazing to hear. But fair, like, yeah, yeah. I think that was what we started on. Was I think it was technically Pathfinder though. This was pre. Fifth edition coming Hell out, or yeah. at least fifth edition getting popular. Fifth, yeah, so fifth think, edition was just starting around 2015, if I recall. Yeah, so I believe that was a Pathfinder game, because uh, I remember when I took, because we had to, I had to take a break from that, and then when I started up with a different group, I was like, this seems a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was very similar. I started in uh, right at the end of 2012. I was in college at the time, and uh, it's funny, I, I love telling this story because, like, now I'm all about it, but at the time, I was playing, like, Magic the Gathering at, like, uh, my local game shop, and my friends 
uh, nearby. They, they were like two years younger than me and they went to like a different high school. Long story how we got like sort of acquainted, but we used to play like Risk and like board games together and stuff. And nice. they were like, hey, you should really get involved in Pathfinder. And I remember playing Magic like it's all about magic right now, buddy. I'm not I'm not some nerd who plays D&D and tabletop RPGs. Are you kidding me? And now only I'm, magic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's not nerdy, though. Magic is normal. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. So I uh, it was super funny to like then start that. And it was like. Uh, I actually ended up playing like a game of World of Darkness with like a different group of people who, again, I met through magic. And then I was like, wait a second, that was actually really fun. I don't really care for that group. Maybe I should go back to my buddy and see if he's still looking for players. And that's how I got started. So I started with Pathfinder as well. And then eventually we transitioned into fifth edition when that began, uh, became a thing. Yeah. And you're like, is the enemy flat footed? They're like, what's that? You're like, no, okay. Nope. Right. <laughs> I, I, I kind of miss a little bit of that system, but I'm I'm also glad that they uh they simplified it. Yeah. And I mean like the old systems are still there. Like if you have a group who mm-hmm. wants to play it that way, there's you can still get that old material and play it that way. But True. Like I de- I'm definitely about fifth edition, like since it came out and I think it's most of what people I know play and it's really let you know, the people like me who like get silly and prefer the role playing stuff now and then to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I prefer fifth edition over Pathfinder. Sorry to all those who love Pathfinder or oh, watching yeah. or listening. Look, like I, I love Pathfinder first edition. I miss it. Uh in, in some ways. It's very oh, yeah. It's yeah. very crunchy. It's very fun to make a character that's wholly unique in every facet. But Fifth edition is just easier to learn. It's easier to get people hooked and stuck with it. And if you want to kind of make it a little bit more crunchy, it's really easy to do that without breaking it. Like it's very bendable. I feel. Yeah. Um, I've added. I have a home game that I do. That's a. It's a. It's a horror themed game. It's a Curse of Strahd. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So like one, uh, there's a couple things with fifth edition that do still kind of bother me. Like you can just go to bed after getting your arm broken and your like kidney bruised and everything. And then you wake up the next day and you feel fine. Like, I think that's kind of (laughs) stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, I'm playing Strahd in a hard game as well. So I'm not playing Strahd. I'm playing a different character. Right. Right. Uh, right. So someone else is DMing. Um, And yeah, we, Constantly joking about that sort of stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just died for the third time in, sorry, I've gone under zero hit points for the third time in four rounds. Like, don't worry, healing words coming your way. You'll be right as rain. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, <laughs> I haven't done anything with that, but like, I've made it so that healing is slower. I've, uh, I've put it, things on, like, if you get crit and then you're down because of it or, uh, basically there's some criteria that if they're met, I go and have you roll on a lingering injuries table and we see if you have any lingering injuries. Recently, a player had to do that. They got down to the first round. They were surprised. And, uh, then they rolled a natural 20 on their death save. And I said, wait a second, we haven't nice. rolled on your lingering injuries. And they're like, can I act this turn? I'm like, you were surprised. So then I, I rule a cool that I said, you have a choice. Either I'll let you act on your surprise round. Because you did roll an at 20 on your death save, but you also have to roll on the uh, lingering injuries table. And that could be really bad, a permanent thing that doesn't heal easy. Or 
you don't roll on the lingering injuries table, but you have to stay downed like like you were going to essentially. Um, so you don't get the permanent thing, but you can't move the first round. And they were like, oh, I want to I want to do the first round. Let's roll on that table, buddy. Oh, and I was like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every every time I'm taking that first option, like we're not here to be sensible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like giving them the option, I think, was the empowering move. And it's also fun because yeah. he's like playing a doctor. So I gave him he wanted to take the healer feet and I felt like that was a little too weak. With, especially with normal rules. So I combined it with another feature from uh, uh, Unearthed Arcana feat called Medic. Uh, so he gets like multiple shit. I've heard with, of that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he gets Medic and Healer. It's all like one combined feat for him. Um, so he's got expertise in medicine. Yes. He's got healer kits that can do a lot in, in battle that can save him spell slots and stuff. Um, and it's really good because you can get lingering injuries and you heal slowly. So he's actually a lifeline for the party in a lot of ways. Anyway, I, I brought all that up just because I wanted to just mention to people out there, you can always tweak your home games with fifth edition. You can always make it a little more like Pathfinder if you like. Yeah. House rules usually, usually a good option. Like after a while. Um, for sure. And yeah, it's it's about creep dynamic as well. So you're playing Curse of Stride, you mentioned. Uh, how are you liking that? Uh, well, we've made it very silly. I mean, the DMs <laughs> like definitely set the stakes, but we're a very silly party. But I think it's impossible to not have a silly party in Curse of Stride. <laughs> it just it's like, what are we gonna do? Are we all gonna be sad edge lords? You're like, nah. Like, come on. <laughs> it can be, it can uh, be fun, but like, if everybody's a sad edge lord, then yeah, you need some levity to brighten it up a bit. Yeah, I was saying we've uh, we've sort of speaking of homebrew, we kind of changed a couple things in the lore of the game, at least via the DM, so that they're comfortable with doing it. Like speaking about changing things, I think the, I mean, spoiler alert for Curse of Strahd. But the uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. But the stalking, domestic violence sort of thing of Strahd's backstory mm-hmm. um, wasn't a very comfortable thing for our DM to role play coming through. So they just sort of said, How about it's not like his old girlfriend? It's like someone who has the secret for his immortality or something. Mm. And that's why he's after them. It's not this. You know, it's not this bad romance thing where he's like, you know, trying to seduce, manipulate, gaslight this girl and stalk her for eternity or something. What if it's like, what if it's a bit simpler? It's just like, she has has the second half of some secret to give him what he wants. So he's getting her that way. And we're like, yeah, like, that's cool. We've still got Barovia. We've still got like all the things. It's just without the, yeah, without the creepy uh, incel big bad. (laughs) yeah it is isn't it i i like that i think i think you know everyone wants what they want from a game and like curse of strahd like written by the book i think a lot of people who are familiar with it understand that it's not perfect like Mm. none of these adventure modules are god look at you horde of the dragon queen but uh curse of strahd has a lot of good shit going for it It has a lot of keeper material and there's a lot of people online who have expanded upon it and added new things to it and like 
ultimately, you should be playing the game that's going to be enjoyable and fun for you at the table. Not necessarily because, like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. It's like, I mean, it's supposed to be how you want it to be, you know? Yeah. Um, if if you're at a table where you went to session zero, this these types of uh, topics were covered, you thought that, like, yeah, I'm game for this, and then midway through, you're like, actually, I'm really uncomfortable. Hey, that's okay. That's totally fair. Have a conversation with, you know, your DM and stuff. Talk about it. If, if it's something that you can't quite... You're not going to be having fun afterwards, then maybe just think about like playing a different game. It's okay. There's no shame in like having to leave a a game because it's just not your type of game you're coming to find out, you know? For sure. Yeah. Likewise, if you're starting a game from the beginning, like, hey, I don't really want to role play this really uncomfortable thing. And everyone's like, yeah, you know what? That's cool. Like, I don't personally have a problem with it, but I respect that you have a problem with it. And I'm okay with us not going there. Right. That's also really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. I think I remember like early in the uh, D&D adventure, like however you call it, where it's like it was like hard to find a table, like hadn't found like my click. And it was just sort of like any table that was going, you sort of like put up with the stuff that you didn't like that much because you're like, oh, I just need to play. And oh, because I'm new, I must be thinking about it wrong. I must be doing something wrong. And so like it took a little while to get to that level of comfortability. Com- comfort? Damn it, Kendall. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell is comfortability? <laughs> uh, sorry, yeah, that level of comfort and I guess the safety net of knowing I've still got a group to play with where it's like, okay, this table's not for me. Like, it's not bad. It's not, there's nothing wrong with the players at it or something. It's just, it's not for me. And I have a safety net there. And yeah. it is, I, I guess it's like a bit of a privileged state. Like when I hear some people really struggling to find a, like a group that, they want to play consistently with and like feel safe around. Like it is a very nice thing to have. Um, so not trying to like rub it in anyone's faces, but like it was a nice thing for me being able to say, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to keep putting myself down just to keep playing the game. I don't need to, you know, force myself right, uh, to enjoy things I'm not enjoying just so I can play in a weekly or fortnightly game. It's yeah. Yeah, no, for, for sure. It's, um, it's a game <laughs> at, yeah. the end of the, at the end of the day you have to be having fun i've i've left games that i just wasn't enjoying i didn't do it in the in the best of ways like i definitely could have been better but that was also back when i was like not as good at communicating these oh. things and it comes down to that too like people need to communicate like if you if you played through a whole session where you were super uncomfortable and you don't tell anybody about it and then you let it build to a boiling point and then you like are super mad one day and everyone's like, where's this coming from? And it's it had been building, but you said nothing. It's like that. It's also kind of on you for not saying anything to anybody. You know, it's one of those things where you need to at least at the very least reach out to your DM if they're not the the issue necessarily. And like just communicate that so that maybe they'll compromise. With you. Maybe they're willing to work with you on it and say, hey. I, I completely see where you're coming from. I understand how that could be upsetting. Obviously, it's not my intention to upset you, uh, but intention means jack shit if that's what the actions are doing. So I'm willing to change those actions to make sure you're having a good time. That could happen. You know, that's a possibility, but you'll never know if you don't say anything. Yeah. And as I think, like, as I was saying, like the early days, like I wouldn't have thought that. I was just too, like, you know, excitable and into it just to be like, oh, I can't 
possibly right. tell a DM that I didn't like their game. That would be so like horrible of me. That would be so rude <laughs> and stuff like uh, yeah, as, as opposed to now. I, and like that level of communication is like a lot more common in games now, like the lines and veil sheets. I get handed oh, out yeah. a lot. It's just it's become such more such a more common thing to just make sure people are on as close to the same page as possible. Yeah, and and you can tell it's a real trial and error thing where it's like people have had enough bad experiences accrued that they're like just having this checklist in the beginning is usually a good idea. Yep. Um and especially if it's a group you don't know. If it's like for example, if you're playing Adventurers League or if you're doing a um, uh, any sort of like online role playing group that you haven't met the people before, like you're just trying to get into a game because you don't got many people to play with. Like it's genuinely a good idea to have a checklist session zero to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everyone's willing to deal with the same things. Um yeah just for the comfort of everybody and like i'm not i also want to say though it's okay to have some things make you feel some ways like the game can bring a lot out that you weren't expecting and that can actually be a a blessing in disguise in some ways like you could feel really upset but then reflect on it and be like why am i so upset i never thought i would be about that and that could actually like come like create like a sort of more acute self-awareness in a way about whatever was bothering you about that thing or whatever was like speaking to you about it. Definitely. And I, yeah, I go through Uh, them every now and then, like I'll be like halfway through the week. I'm like, I'm still thinking of that one interaction (laughs) in that DNA. Like, yeah, okay. I guess I need to unpack this a little bit. Oh yeah. But, Mm -hmm. but I guess like DMS out there, if you want to know how to lose a player, it's like give the lions and veils thing, but then like, don't go by it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I've only got like one slight example. I'm not going to, you know, name names or anything like that. But there were like, there was this game that was like, it was pretty like fresh into it. We were like early in. Um, I think I knew one person on the table, and then it was like, here's the lions and veils. And at for that particular game, I had a lion on like just romances for my character. I was like, I just don't want it for this character. Uh, and then yeah, like two sessions in, like all these these npcs this like npc starts like flirting with my character and like the players start like trying to like set them up and like you can see the dms like really kind of like pushing like oh i think they're cute i think that'd be a great couple and i'm just like okay we're in the middle of the game so let's just awkwardly roll through this but i got to the end i'm like yeah i had a line through that sorry Yeah, it's just like one of those. Thi- it's like I know these things get forgotten, but it's just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, I'd I'd gone through a, okay, yeah, like not to like overshare, but I'm going to like I'd gone through a breakup <laughs> mm. <laughs> recently. So then we're like starting a new game, and I was just like, I don't want to think about relationships. I just want to put that as a yeah. line. <laughs> and then it came. Oh, up I totally it, get that. It's just like, oh, it's the one thing I asked for. And it's like, there's no malice in it. Like, I'm pretty sure they just, it slipped their mind or they didn't have the sheet up there. But Like, yeah. Right. And also they're probably used to playing a certain kind of game that they like, again, it's it's like an old habits sort of thing. They're not being as conscientious as they need to be in the position that they're in. Yeah. That's why I like the check-ins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like afterwards, yeah, just absolutely. private message. You're like, hey, so this happened. And like, it was like better after that. 
So I guess like starting off this story by saying you want to know how to lose a player is wrong because they didn't lose a player. <laughs> like it was a completely forgivable mistake, but um right, but it can it can yeah. sort of uh what's the word? ostracize or not ostracize. It's like um it can make you feel unseen. Kind of put, yeah, like, push a like player you, away. Like a lion's a significant thing. Like I usually put down like three or four veils, but there are very few lions. So it's just sort of been like, oh, okay, this is the one thing I asked for. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, even though it's not intentional, like it can, it can make you feel like you're not being heard or respected or something. So yeah, if you're, if you're introducing the line and veil thing, it's like, just, just really just make note of what the lines are. Just, yeah. They're there for a reason. The li- yeah. That's, that's the big, that's the big thing. Yeah. Some people, if, if. I've seen ones that are like red, yellow, uh, or sorry, like green, yellow, red, sort of. Yeah. And it's the reds that you got to really be aware of. And usually they align uh, with people. Like a lot of people have the same reds and, and generally yeah. don't want to go to certain places. Um, but like uh, we we actually kind of discussed this a little bit on my last episode uh, with, with Alaska. So we talked about like mental health and D&D and stuff like that. And we talked about... Yeah. Um, you know, respecting boundaries of your players and things like that. If someone says, Hey, I don't want to do this. Then don't, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. You don't have to do it, but let's, I want to bring it back to you for a bit. Cause I, you, you mentioned acting college and that's something I did not know that you had gone to acting college. Could you tell uh, a, a plebeian, a Philistine like myself a little bit more about what that experience was like? Oh, um, like amazing and terrible. Uh, it was a it sounds was a two- about right. <laughs> yeah, it's you like learn a lot about yourself. Uh, you spend about eighty percent of the time being very depressed. Um, like myself, anyway. I'm not sure if that goes for everyone. And it's it's like it was a very consistent existential crisis. And then there's then every now and then we had the classes where it was just technical, and those were those were a lovely break. Where it's like, here's voice class, do these exercises, you'll get better. Here's physical class, you know, uh, do this. This is how you fix your alignment. These are things you can do. And like, yeah, the the lot more like empirical factual classes uh, wind up being a little bit like therapy because you're not spending the whole time wondering why you're not good enough. Um, Ooh, I see <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is a rough thing. And I think uh, for someone like me as well, who's, like a touch more introverted than most actors um, and has, you know, anxiety to do with, you know, people looking at them, which is, you know, it's a bit of a fault if you want to be an actor, let's be honest. I'm not going to beat around the bush. <laughs> uh, so so it was a lot to take on in that regard, uh, especially when you get into the more dramatic stuff and uh, like how you get to those places to do those really big scenes and and then, then we film us doing it. Then we watch uh, the tapes back at the end, and we all come in with our criticisms and what we noticed, what we liked about each other, and yeah, it's just it's constantly just like putting yourself out there, and then not quite getting what you wanted, and then just like spending the rest of the time with a notebook, what saying, okay, why couldn't I? Sorry, this is probably like gone a bit depressing. I think that's just like the mindset. No, I'm in. no, like, it's just. It's... I mean, it, it rings very true for the college experience of any sort of creative endeavor. You do workshopping essentially. Yeah, and your peers will often grade you, and sometimes grade you harshly, and sometimes that harshness is a good thing, and sometimes it's just like, 
I feel like you're missing the point of what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, especially with art stuff, because it's not sciences and stuff. Everything is, a, at least to some extent, has opinion rooted in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially things with like with acting or visual art or music, like you're like, okay, are you are you grading my technique right now, or are you just saying it's not for you? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's always important to like take every bit of criticism with the grain of salt, just because like I've seen critics criticize something where they completely miss the message of this like thing that they were criticizing. And it's like, yeah, because you don't get it, you look like the idiot, not them. Like you're criticizing something they did on purpose. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that, where it's like sometimes critics aren't really reading too deep into a thing. Um, However, sometimes, you know, we just do have faults that need to be, you know, worked on and and practiced so that we can get better and sharp our weak points. Yeah. You do have to realize that you're not perfect and you have improvements to make. And Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, like I'm not sure exactly what it is on like other art streams because I didn't do other art streams. Did acting. I was I was a musician for a little while, but I'm not entirely sure you count that. That was always more hobby, rebellious teenager than it was like mm. something I was passionately into. Um, but yeah, with acting, it is putting yourself out there, but you're also trying not to take it personally. But it it, it is just you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's you're putting yourself out there, and you thought you were good. Like, oh, I really nailed that, and they're like. That wasn't good. You're like, uh, <laughs> really cool. Tell me more. Tell me more, please. And then you, and then you walk off one scene going, I, uh, what was going on there? I don't even know. I can't remember anything. So out of it. And they were like, that was the best you've done. What did you do? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what did you tell me? What did I do? <laughs> I'm looking at you for the advice I, here. Yeah. I thought that sucked. What, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it can be it's it's that's i mean it kind of hints at how imprecise it is sometimes like how you're feeling and what you're displaying can be complete very completely different things and as an actor too i like sometimes it has to be like you could be having an off day but if you go on for a shoot you have to be on you know mm, think yeah especially with sh- shoots that's why it helps like if you're lucky enough to have a, a director you trust because you can just be like, I'm not sure I'm feeling it right now, or I'm not entirely sure this is my best work. But if the person you're like working with, like closely, the director, usually that's who you're supposed to be working closely with. Some, some people forget that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, that's um, if you can trust them to be like, okay, if this is what you want and you're being honest with me, then that's fine. Then that's good. That makes me a bit more comfortable going out there and doing it. If you don't have that relationship, then it kind of just like doubles down and makes things worse. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't imagine. I, I actually just watched a, a video by the gaming historian about the Super Mario Bros. movie, the the original from oh, the eighties. Bob Huskins and how one. much of a shit show that was. Oh yeah. Like. <laughs> oh my god. It's everybody amazing. was making fun of those th- directors. Nobody liked them. Nobody. And they would like keep them out of the editing room. They like locked the door. They said, you're not allowed to look at the final edit because you guys will fuck it up. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine getting to that stage in your career and you're like, this is the thing that's going to launch me. And like, that's what happens. That would be so harsh. Yeah. 
It's uh, don't know. I could come back from it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, but the thing is, people will watch that movie and they'll realize very quickly. It's not the actors that are the problem. The actors did the best with what they had. And they are the saving grace. Honestly, yeah. Bob Hoskins, John Lug- Liguzama, uh, uh, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Like, they're all great in their roles. Their roles are just not so good. Like they're not written well. They're not directed well. It's a cool world. It's got flash. They they act they fucking act their hearts out, but every, it can't save it. It's it basically makes it a, a cult classic because of those reasons. Yeah, there are times where you as an actor go, I didn't do my best, or I could have done better there. And then there are times where you're just like, yeah, no, nah, like I had nothing to work with. <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> you're like, could it have been better? Yes, could I have been better? Possibly was was I given a chance? Not really. I mean, uh, people people criticize the actors that played Anakin Skywalker in the uh, the prequels for for yeah, Star Wars. Hayden Christensen, hey, yeah, yeah, and um, uh, Jake uh, was it Jake Lloyd? I think. Oh, the the youngest one, the young one too. Yeah, yeah. And it's like there's a lot of pressure on that role specifically, and then you've got George Lucas, who's a writer, not a director, and even as a writer. On, on the first movies, the original trilogy, like other people went and doctored the script and said, this is bad dialogue. We got to rewrite this. We got to do that. When he became big, he had a bunch of yes men and nobody really checked him on anything. So, like, yeah. are we going to say that uh, Eowyn Mc, Mc, uh what's his name? The, the Obi-Wan Kenobi's actor? Yeah. Are we going to say... McGregor, thank you. That he's a bad actor because he was directed badly. Like, no, of course not. Like, we know it was George Lucas saying, "I want, uh, I want him to to do this, and I want him to do that, and blah 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 blah." And it's like, okay, George, sure, yeah. <laughs> it's if your anything, baby. I think it, I think it really speaks to you and McGregor that like Obi Wan became like a very likable character in those prequel trilogies, like. Like Hayden Christensen, not so much, but us. Like you've seen him in like other stuff. Well, I have. Sorry, I'm putting words in your mouth. Like, like I saw him in Life as a House. Like this movie where he's like a messed up teenager going through a lot of stuff. And like he is a good actor, but I guess, I guess maybe like, yeah, he just like wasn't able to get it. Whereas you and McGregor, like. I've heard stories like, you know, definitely I wasn't there, but like I've known people who worked on them and like we've heard stories that you and McGregor really just doubled down on the camp because like he knew what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen had this like extra, they weren't, they weren't really allowed to double down on the camp because they were supposed to be like this serious core story in the middle of it. Uh huh. Yeah. And probably didn't get that opportunity, but, um, yeah. Uh, I I forgot his name. And the Emperor's actor. Uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Ian, Ian McDermott. Thank you. You're on the names for me. He's same way. He carried the third movie. No, yeah. no, no. You will die. <laughs> Just oh, it's so <laughs> yeah. good. It's so bad. It's so good. I love it. And he knows. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing there. Yeah, working it before he was just like, "Yep, okay, this is what has to happen." <laughs> uh there's also like um i mean that also goes to say like sometimes you get like a star coupling of like an actor and director pairing like uh um man names are gonna escape me but guys that were in Shaun of the dead actor and director Uh, oh uh simon pegg is the actor and Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Thank you. Good Lord. Um, but yeah, like they're in all these movies together and it's, 
yeah, they're friends, but also like they work really well together and they help make those movies a lot better than they would have been because Simon Pegg and then the other guy too, that like is in a lot of those movies. Ah, Nick Frost. Yeah. Nick Frost. Thank you. God, you're great at this. (laughs) They like, they get it. They get what Edgar's going for and he knows exactly what he needs to say to them to get them to be the roles that they have to be. And so like, it's like a match made in heaven. And that's why those movies, it's part of the reason why those movies are so good is that chemistry. Mm. Um, I think that, yeah. you know, obviously you've got your Spielbergs who are good. They're just legendary because they can get anyone to do anything they need them to do, you know, and like they're just great uh, directors in that sense. But then you get like, you know, Tim Burton and like Hel- Helena Bonham Carter. I remember the name. Yay. Um, yeah. You know, and like uh, they're married, obviously. So like there's going to be that. But like she also gets what he's looking for and can play the roles that she or he needs her to play. Yeah, like good working relationships, uh, you don't bite the hand that feeds you in that situation. Like if it's working, it's working. Like I remember getting like frustrated with those sort of concepts when I started getting into acting. Like, oh, why? I I wasn't thinking like, you know, big Tim Tim Burton level. Like I was thinking like a lot more like lower level, like people who who I would be able to meet and work with and they always Mm -hmm. seem to be working with the same people. And like early on, I was like, that's so mean. They're not giving like, new talent a chance and blah 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 and then you know like a couple years into it you're like oh yeah 100% I know why you do that yeah like just if you know it's a good working relationship and it's going to make something good why jeopardize that um yeah. think about yeah like like most like filmmaking in particular as opposed to theater theater it is a bit of a different thing and I'm still pretty new to that but like filmmaking it's like you want to cut down the on the on the variables as much as possible. Like the idea of like, you know, taking a chance on an actor who hasn't been in anything before, like that's, it's you a know, when you're, when you're young into acting, you're just like, why wouldn't you do that? You, I, I could be the next, like Heath Ledger or something. Like, why wouldn't you want to find mm-hmm. out? But after doing it, you're like, no, I would not. I think I've directed two things and one of them, I guess you could say I was like half directing. And I was just like, yeah, no, I would not. Yeah. I would not want to bring in someone I had like no knowledge of, no uh, proof that they could do a good job, anything like that. And I'm like, that's just not a variable I would want on set because there's too much stress already. Right, right. For acting, especially like in-person acting, I imagine that's extremely important. Um, You know, if you're... You're getting out of your house to go to a place, a location to shoot, to set everything up, to get everything going. And the person that you have to work with is insufferable or worse, I would say, is because if they're insufferable, you could just be like, all right, you're gone. We'll get somebody else. But if it's like just someone who's just not measured up to what you're looking for, like you miscast them. Maybe, maybe they're good at different yeah. roles, but the role that you cast them for, yeah. they're just, they don't match. And then you're realizing it halfway through and you're like, fuck. <laughs> it happens. I mean, yeah. I've sort of, I, th- I think I've been that actor. The director hasn't never admitted to it or anything, but I think we got halfway through it. I'm like, I think you thought I was someone else. Yeah. Like I'm doing my thing, but I think you thought I was a different type of actor. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of that. I also think sometimes we can be kind of hard on ourselves because it can be a struggle for us to meet the sort of expectation that we think they're looking for. I think that's really what it is, is mm-hmm. as an actor. Um, 
So let me clarify something. I never went to acting school. I'm not. I never did theater or any of that stuff. I, I did creative writing in college. Um, and I, awesome. I tinkered around with script writing, uh, playwriting, novels, poems, all the all the types of creative writing outlets. Uh, obviously, I think I stuck with like script writing the most just because it made the most sense. Yep. But when I started uh, doing my animated series on YouTube, I had to find voice actors. I could have done all the voices myself, but I'm like, I don't want to do all these voices. That's I feel like there's just too many characters and I can't do it. So I need to find some people. So I ended up becoming a casting director in a sense, because I would go on online forums. I'd be like, here's the roles I'm looking for. Here's some lines. Give it your best shot. And I kind of had a preference for finding new talent because not because I wanted to give the newbies a chance. It's not it's less than that. It's like I know that all the people that are going to be doing stuff for me have way more experienced with what they're doing. Like I'm the newbie, but they just want they need projects. They need more work. So like, I'm just a job and that's, that's okay. I can, I can totally tolerate that sort of relationship. Um, I needed to look for new people because I just needed people to come back to (laughs) for when I have new projects and I could be like, Hey, I need a voice. Can you do this for me? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I think uh, voice acting's probably like a slightly different kettle of fish in that regard. Cause you know, you're recording your voice. Uh, usually at at home or something, sending it in, you can mm-hmm. get like this feedback from the director. Do it slightly different, send it back. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I realize how hard directing is, and as well, that is not easy. Uh, yeah, absolutely horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough because like on the one hand, they'll uh, yeah, I'm intimidated by the actors I work with because they're so good and professional, and then they'll like. Give me something amazing, but it's just slightly off. And I have to weigh in my mind, like, do I get nitpicky about this or do I just say this is good and I'll make it work? And eight times out of ten, I guess four times out of five, if we're going to reduce denominators here, I say it's good. I'll make this work. And then I try only 20 percent of the time to say, all right, this is almost good, but can we do it a different way? And then sometimes I'll have an actor who, like we were just talking about, I have an idea in my head for this character and how they're supposed to sound. And they're going a completely different route with it. And I have to sort of like stop it and be like, all right, I'm sorry, you're doing great. But I think we have a miscommunication about uh, this actor's attitude in the scene or this character's attitude in the scene. Let's go over that again. But like, it can be really um, fucking sweat inducing because it's like i don't want to tell them they're bad like that's the last thing i want to say to an actor is like well you're not doing what i want you to do it's more like you're so talented i just need to channel it the right way and it's my failing because i don't know what i need to say to get it to be what i need it to be you know what i mean like i never blame the actors for anything personally yeah we we blame ourselves enough (laughs) <laughs> so, um, no, you guys are yeah, all like, so you, talented it's incredible uh never believe it uh do you do you do like the shit sandwich approach with feedback that's <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no never oh wait 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 wait. Yeah. I, are you talking about the gordon ramsay meme of, what are you an idiot sandwich oh, no no it's oh, okay <laughs> no it's um yeah it's it's when we use we say a lot in australia it doesn't work with me anymore because i know that's what people are doing but it's like compliment then th- 
then what you can change, and then another compliment. Ah. So it's like the thing you want changed is in the middle of these two compliments. So we call it a shit sandwich. <laughs> I, I I guess I do. It would be a, in the middle. I would yeah. do like a, a a triple quadruple decker. I would always start immediately like, <laughs> hey, listen, you're on the project because I like you, so you know I think you've got what it takes. So any criticisms from this point forward isn't a criticism of you as a person or even how good you are. It's just can we get your talent to do this thing? That's where we want. There's a goal and we're gonna, I'm going to try to help you get there. So once they know that I'm working with them, not against them, then any criticism from that point forward is like, I don't need to keep buttering them up. They know that I'm on their side. It's more just like, let's see if we can get to where I, I need it to be. And I understand and I kind of apologize too, saying like, I know I'm kind of picky about this. And I know this might be a little annoying for you. I apologize in advance, but we can do this. I believe in us. Um, is sort of the approach I take. And then at the end, I'm just like, hey, thank you for taking the time. That's my shit sandwich. It's like a very long, long, long shit sandwich, I guess. Like a uh, man versus food shit sandwich. Yes, yes. The kind <laughs> that, you know, you see it like... Uh, I don't know where I was going with that, and I'm going to move on. Uh, <laughs> um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about... Um, I'm just just because I'm curious because I looked into the the YouTube channel like Deerstalker Pictures and they've been around for a while doing like cosplay stuff from like way back when and yeah. uh, I didn't realize that the One for All uh, series is a bit of a more recent venture for them. How did you get involved with Deerstalker Pictures? Um, we can trace it back to acting school. Funnily enough, um, when I when I was wrapping up at acting school, like I was doing a bit of a bit of behind the camera work as well, just because our school was, you know, liked teaching the actors, you know, how the films are made and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so a friend of mine who was in the directing stream was doing his thesis and got me on board because I could, you know, for, I was, think I was only acting in like two scenes, but then like he could also use me as a, an assistant for the rest of the time. Uh, and uh, Goldie, who is, you know, one half of Deerstalker Pictures, was the DOP for that. And it was, I think, first time working with uh, someone of her caliber on that side of a job. And it was really good. I remember being, like, pretty, um, like, what's the word? I mean, impressed, obviously, but, like, I think I was a little self-conscious just because she had this, like, level of professionalism and stuff I wasn't used to. But uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, a couple of days after that shoot, she was she reached out and was like, "Hey, I've got this solo channel with my partner called Deerstalker. Uh, can you come help me out? Because they were doing uh, this video on if Game of Thrones had budget cuts." Right. Yeah, I saw. I think that's where it all it all started for for I think at least two of you guys, right? Um. Yeah. Well, uh, Forgeling, who plays Antrius, was in that one. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's been in a lot more of their videos than I have. And uh, yeah, mm. I was in that one as well. And Elliot, who's the writer-director, plays Jacques and Hagar as well. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was like the early days of things. So we, yeah, did that. And then a little while later, they did like a, like a Pokemon crossed with Godzilla thing. And like I did a Professor Oak voice for it. And yeah, so it's like we're done those two jobs over I guess like a three-year period and then at some point I like in that downtime I got more and more into D&D &D and one day posted a picture on Facebook 
of myself DMing and they reached out and were like, hey, oh, we have worked together before and we were actually thinking of doing like a D&D thing. Would you be down? I'm like, well, yes, because any acting job I will take right now, I am desperately. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, listen, Please listen, give me this, something. It's like, I love what you guys are doing and I love, and I, you know, if I, even if I was super busy, I would totally make time for this. Let's yeah. forget the fact that I am not super busy and I would do anything at this point. But yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And um, yeah, they were talking about, I think there was another show that they were trying to make at that point because they were wanting to experiment with more uh, continual form. Uh, is that the word? Sorry, brains. Um, Only semi Continuous? Continuous form, maybe? Uh, just, just... Just a series, I guess, is the nicest way to say it. <laughs> like, like a lot of their videos have been like, you know, one-offs, like this Attack on Titan thing, this uh, Overwatch thing, this Game of Thrones thing. So they were like, "What's yeah. what, we want one, like we want a series. We want to at least try it. And I think yeah. they have. And also then you can reuse a lot of the costume stuff too. Like you don't have to keep, you know, investing money into new costumes. I mean, they do anyway, but like. The main characters can have their own sort of outfits and stuff. Yeah, we wound up getting funding somehow. So yeah, lots of <laughs> lots of time and money went into flashy new costumes. I was so impressed when I discovered that channel because I was just like, this is this is a level of polish I haven't seen on any sort of live skit D and D stuff. Like other than like critical role reenactment stuff. You know, and like the the voice actors dressed up as their characters from like Vox Machina. Like I saw that. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then I'd seen some skits where people dress as like an NPC in Skyrim. And I'm like, Man, that's kind of close. But it's not really what I would expect. Then I saw uh, Deerstalker and I was like, oh, this is this is like kind of the only thing that's the only channel that's really doing this. I noticed. Yeah. Um, well. Like. Goldie and Elliot, like who are Deerstalker Pictures, they come from like a really big filmmaking background. And even though their channel is uh, like fan content and stuff, they are, as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as they're concerned as well, filmmakers, they take it very seriously. Uh, and they know so much about the costuming, the art department side of things that even when other people are like, oh, we're coming with our costumes, they're like, no, send us pictures first and we'll decide if your costume's going to work. Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, it's like they know this stuff so well and they're just like, we want to make this the right way. We want to make it our way. So yeah, like that that attention to like the cinematography and the costume and the art department is just like they're, they know their stuff on that regard. They know we're making like a comedy thing on YouTube, but they're like, we want it to be like that, that like higher, like coming off as that higher level of production. That's what they always yeah. wanted. And then when we got funding behind it, they're like, we can do it. Yeah, now. it comes across. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, they were always doing it, but when they had like the money come in as well, mm -hmm. we get to do like the the musical episode, so, so to speak. Yeah, it sounds like for them, it probably serves two purposes. Obviously, one, it needs to resonate with the main audience. So it needs to be funny and, and, and fun, which I think they've got that in spades. But I think the polish goes for their own personal satisfaction. Like if someone bigger sees this, we want them to think this isn't just another comedy skit, you know, YouTube channel, that this is something a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't speak to their motivations because I'm not, you know, 
inside their brain True. thinking. We're, we're, I, we're speculating here, I, I, but I, I, uh, it definitely comes across. Assume it's a big thing. And yeah, they are, they're movie buffs themselves. Like they're always watching the new like uh, artistic movies that come out, but they're also massive nerds themselves. So they know more about like anime and certain video games that I would ever hope to. So <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I, I've got a question, like, how long does it take to get you into makeup when they've got you as these various NPCs in the, uh, in the, in the skits? Ooh, I mean, yeah, obviously there's, uh, a bit of a difference between, you know, some of them I'm essentially myself, but like with a mustache or something, and that's like not that long. But, um, if you watch, say the, uh, the Lord of the Rings video we put out for, Rise to War, where I was the orc called Ligma. Yeah, that, I think I I did. I saw that one. Yeah, that was that was at least three hours in the makeup chair. Oh wow! And um, and costume was pretty quick on top of that. I think we had like a costume fitting earlier in the week, so they knew exactly what to put on and when. Um, but yeah, it was that was at least three hours, and I think that's probably on par for the most elaborate ones we've done on that channel so i that's probably I the can't longest. imagine the like when they made you into that tiefling i remember that specifically i was like this looks really good but i cannot imagine how long i had to sit down for this <laughs> that's what i've uh had to get pretty good at like um and you know i'm i'm a big doug jones fan uh for all those who don't know he's just the the guy you put in prosthetic makeups like he was uh the fish man oh. on um uh, Shape of Water and tall alien guy on Star Trek Beyond. It's just like you get a thing like them, and I just like heard all the stories about how he would just be able to sit like almost perfectly still for six hours while people put stuff on him. And I'm like, well, I got halfway there with three, but <laughs> it's like that's <laughs> like my goal. It's it's like it's like be like Doug. Try to try to be like Doug Jones somehow. Oh yeah. Uh, that's, I, I find that whole process fascinating. I guess, uh, let's, let's kind of move it over to just like sort of role-playing stuff, um, here for a bit. Cause we already talked a little bit about, uh, that you, you're playing, uh, in a Curse of Strahd game. It's a bit of a, of a, uh, there's a lot of hijinks going around with that one, but I feel like that's just a staple of D&D. Could you, no. uh, tell us a bit more about like, Maybe what uh, you look for in a role-playing game. Like, what's, like, your bread and butter when you start playing? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I think, honestly, I think I like discovering it. I think if a lot of people go off, like, using, like, the biggest examples, like, say, Critical Role, and I think a lot of people at the table um, have said I'm a bit of a Sam Regal in that it's, like, it's comedy and trash talk lots of the time. But then every now and then there's like this emotional scene that just takes everyone by surprise. And it usually takes me by surprise too. I'm like, I didn't know I was going to do that. But yeah, I think, I think the Strahd one's a bit rough. Like I'm onto like my third character now. The first one died and the second one was made like a bit, a bit like reflexively. Is that a word? I don't know. I'm just making stuff rebound? up. Rebound? I think, I think you mean like it was yeah. a rebound character. <laughs> Yeah, it was just sort of like, oh, let's make one now and, you know, jump in. And then, yeah, it's like a couple sessions playing them. I'm like, I'm not really feeling this one. Like, mm. 
I know it's like a hijinks related thing, but like the character was pretty like one note. And yeah, I've and, I've experienced that before. And I was just like, how do I break this up? And then then I like I had this other character that I've wanted to play for a bit, just like haven't been able to bring them in. And then I just realized, okay, this other character is very hijinxy as well, but they would f- they would get up to stuff with like some of the other characters in this game. It's like you pair them up with this one, there's chaos, but then the person who's already being like the dad of the thing is going to like have to like wrangle the two of us <laughs> and there's like support and stuff. Yeah. So started thinking, I'm like, okay, if I, so I spoke to the DM and was just like, is it the worst thing if I bring a new character in now? It's like, we know like this one I'm playing now is a bit of a rebound. We don't have to kill them. They can like help out at the orphanage. <laughs> right. Or, um, Oh, there's a, we, we rescued a sad tiger. I, you know, I think that you've touched on something that I find fascinating, which is a lot of times when we make a character for a game, we only think about what we want to play, but then we kind of forget how is this character going to play well with the party? And one of the cool things to do, and it doesn't mean everybody should necessarily do this every time, but like. I find it to be really interesting when somebody makes a character that has a built-in chemistry with other characters, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I believe like the sense of discovery, discovering that chemistry is like super exciting. And there's always going to be those opportunities. But I also like it when if somebody like is going to join a game, they kind of already have an idea of what other people are playing and says, okay, I think I'm going to play this because I think this element could pair up well with these characters or it's a missing thing that could offer another perspective that wouldn't be around otherwise or something like not necessarily oh you guys need a healer i'll play the healer but more like oh there's no straight man to this this group and you kind of need one let's i'll be that i'll be that straight man it's like a funny way of like role-playing balance on top of like team balance it's like oh do we have the this the this uh like, do we have the range DPS, the the tank, the healer, uh-huh, and stuff? Yeah. And, but there's also like the archetypes. Like, do we have the the straight man, the heart of the party, the chaos merchant? Like, uh, yeah. you know, do we have that dynamic set? Because if it's a role play heavy game, that's kind of what you want, I guess. Yeah, um, I. Yeah, and it's, it, it's so interesting. God, sorry, sorry. I'm just fascinated. But yeah, and I think. I think like a simple answer is a lot of the time it's like the best ones are ones ideas that excite you. And like, yeah, it's like a couple of times I've gone with players where I thought, oh, maybe this is what I should do. And like, that's wound up, you know, not being my favorite characters, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's ones where it's like, oh, I, I really want to play this guy. This is, I find this hilarious. I'm going to troll everyone. Uh, but <laughs> there's a serious thing beneath it. And like, this excites me. So it's a lot of the time going with your gut, but also, yeah, like working it out as a table. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it also a character can lend itself to being a team player more than others. Like uh, to describe, s- s- there are a couple characters I can think of that I've played recently that have certain obstacles and limitations but then certain hidden strengths that i didn't quite see initially like uh i play in a a monday actually today for me streamed game um 
as of recording this uh, for those out there in the future or listening to this. Tune in. It's, uh, it's Monday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I, we play Antumbra Echoes of the Eclipse on uh, Cat and Cheeky's uh, uh, Twitch channel. And I play a pirate Genasi woman named Ra. Uh, and she's Ooh. fun. She's got a really cool uh, aesthetic. Uh, she plays like mechanically is like my my favorite thing to do which is basically a martial wizard i love that shit she's a blade singer it's the funnest uh, shit in the world i'm about i'm about to start with a blade singer i am so ready Ooh, <laughs> if you need to, uh, pointers or tips just feel free to ask i'll tell you what i know Shelter. um but uh yeah she's so much fun to play however role play wise i found that uh it was a little bit crowded in the group in the sense of like I I was fortunate to have a friend in the group that we talked to beforehand to have two characters that have tied backstories. Hmm. So she came in with another character, Flotsam, who's a Warforged, who was her first mate. So like they had a like a, a pre-existing sort of camaraderie together that helped both of them sort of kind of be here like we belong because we're we're sort of a unit here. Um, but also like we can now start building relationships with the other characters and we've already got one a pre-established thing that's kind of nice there's already like a, a chemistry that we don't have to worry about there but like something that i didn't foresee was that i was going to play a sort of reckless leader type uh was my idea like i wanted to be if i had to liken it to any character in, in sort of media if you've ever watched one piece ah, there yep. is a character the star character, Monkey D. Luffy, nice. he's kind of an idiot, but he's also very strong and he's the captain of his crew. Now, I didn't want to necessarily be Luffy, but I wanted to have a sort of similar uh, Luffy carefree, yeah. yeah, carefree attitude of just like very straightforward, very blunt, kind of speaks her mind type of thing. And what I end up seeing was another person was playing a pirate named Viridian and Viridian was also reckless, but Viridian was a lot better at being a pirate than my character was. And I felt a little bit outshined. <laughs> then there was someone else playing a wizard, Adelaide, and the wizard's a better wizard than my blade singer was because I was doing a weird multi-class and she was just straight wizard. And this is like a very good one at that. So even though I'm a fire genasi, she's the one casting fireball. So everyone calls her the fire lady and not me. <laughs> <laughs> and then also there's like uh, a paladin turned barbarian who's also extremely reckless and like running in and doing melee and like kind of taking that role. So I kind of felt like even though I had this really cool concept for a character, I couldn't figure out where she fit. She didn't have like a niche at first. At least that's how I felt. She was kind of just being herself. And I'm like, you know what? I think this is her niche is trying to find her place in the world because she her backstory was she left her uh, crew that she was in. She was part of a really famous pirate crew. She was just like a member of that crew, not like any lieutenant or anything, but she left to go do her own thing. Now that she doesn't have that, she's trying to find her place in the world and start her own thing, but she's realizing that she's still very much a small fish in a big ocean. And it, this is her sort of quest to figure out what she needs to do, not necessarily what she wants to do and focus on that and become the leader that she needs to be so that she can have the life that she wants sort yeah. of. And that has been a much better avenue for me to like explore than what I initially wanted to do, which was just be Luffy. Right. Cause yeah. like 
Luffy also has personal growth moments in the show. You know, it would be kind of silly for me to think that my character would also never grow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Where can your character grow to? That's that's the exciting part. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's calls back to what you were talking about with discovery. You know, mm. it's like, I don't know. I have a really cool concept to start with. I don't know where the fuck it's going to go. Yeah. That'll be fun, though. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> let the let the events of the game shape that that's a crazy idea isn't it yeah yeah i think a, a lot of that also comes from the idea of like we, some people try to prescribe an ending for their character an end goal and mm. that can be kind of cool like some people will talk to the dm beforehand and say i want my character to have a fall from grace i want them to descend into evil and turn against like the party or something but i want it to clear with you and i want you to help me work this in to make it good for the story not me just being a dick and like that can be really fun if you can do that ahead of time and you can stick to it like that can make a lot of sense it could be really cool at the same time i've seen that happen and it be turned on its head i i another character i'm playing i'm playing a character named zvid who i wanted to be a sort of uh shitty dude And I wanted him to be evil, um, but for the party, for the sake of the party, basically using the party to his benefit. Now, he's definitely an unsavory guy, but he has been on a good bent for a while now, even though he still has sort of like, again, unsavory methods. You could call them evil. He raises the dead. He fucking eats like raw meat and shit. He's like a real gross guy, but like he's not... He hasn't really done anything that has made him outright an evil dude. And like, I'm starting to realize maybe that's just not who he is. Maybe he uses that as a bit of a cloak to like disguise himself with, to make him look more fearsome than he really is. But like internally, he's actually like kind of got, he's like a redeemable character. Like he's got a bit of a heart of gold. Like he would put himself at risk to save his friends for sure. He wouldn't just run, even though that's what he says he'd do, you know? Yeah. It's the, uh, the other kind of armor, the armor to who you are. Yeah. Sorry to blab. Let me, let me ask oh, you, like, what's, what's one of your, f- I mean, I want to know more about like, what's one of your favorite characters you've ever played? Like, what's a character that, you know, you constantly think back to like, man, that was fun. Uh, I mean, one that's been going for a while, uh, about like two years now, maybe a bit more called, uh, Aaron, who's, um, who's a, uh, tiefling horizon walker ranger. Like came about in a hilarious way because I started the game with a different character, a uh, Edge and RC called Callum, and they and one other party member died in what shouldn't have been a particularly deadly battle. But yeah, we got swarmed by face biters, and Oof. like the last. Uh, the last words the other character said was, I bet we look really cool right now because we were like back to back fighting and then we died the next round. Oh, <laughs> damn. And it was like, it was just too perfect. Like it was sad, but like it was so hilarious. So we decided, like we started talking about next characters after the game. We were like, let's come back as twins. Like let's come back nice. as like, as tiefling twins. And like one of them's, one of them's got a really high intelligence. The other's got a really high wisdom. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) And tieflings typically get the charisma boost, but you guys chose different mental stats to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Typically. But you know, yeah. 
<laughs> I wanted to be a I wanted to be a ranger. She wanted to be an artificer. So it's like yeah. we, we just wanted some sort of yin and yang. It's like we had to have like one of us had to have one thing a lot higher than the other, and the other's mm-hmm. negative right. had to be in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I just really enjoy it. like people going against the sort of uh, power gaming tendencies that I personally have for the sake of story, for the sake of like, but I want to play this, which is, I love that shit. I love that so much. The good thing about Tasha's cauldron of everything is that you can power game anything now. Like that. Yes. And (laughs) and I think Mordekainen's multiverse monster. Yeah. Yeah. They reinforce that as well. Yeah. It's like, you want to overpower things? Sure. But you can have the options there for you anyway. True. True. Um, but yeah, that's a character I've been playing for like two years now. And I think usually when I think about D&D, that's who I think about just because, you know, they were one, yeah, where I, they were one where I went in with pretty much just like the skeleton of like who they were. It's like, I know yeah. they've got a minus one to intelligence, so they're not the smartest. I know they've got a noble background, but like rebelled against that so hard they became a ranger. So they don't like rich people that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just, that was pretty much it. And then just, I, like, grew from there. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, I, sometimes that's all you need is, like, a good sort of gimmick, almost. Like, just a couple key things, and then you sort of build it off. Especially for new players. Like, if you're a new player and you don't know exactly what kind of character you want to play, no sweat. Just figure yeah. out some cool shit that you like. Figure out a way to make that cool shit make sense. You know, it doesn't have to be a super in-depth backstory, just something to kind of make it work. And then have your DM in on it so that they can fill in the rest for you and just react. Just be reactive to what the world gives you and you can build a character that way. Yeah, the whole yes ending thing. Yeah, yeah I guess, yeah, improvise is, is a long way <laughs> that I said. <laughs> um, Awesome. Let's, we're getting kind of near the end here. Um, and I was really enjoying kind of your descriptions of your character. So I would like to ask you to, if you don't mind, share a fun or interesting or memorable uh, story of like from one of your games, like a role playing game that you played. Hmm. <laughs> right. Well, just because it's fresh in my mind. Um... Like the last Strahd game we played with the with the character who survived. I don't know how, but they survived. All right, before um, we go forward, for my yep. listeners who are in Curse of Strahd games, including the ones that are my game, this is maybe possibly spoiler alert. I'll, I'll, I'll avoid story elements. This is just dumb thing that happened. Okay, all right, cool, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yes, no, no spoiler elements to it, but as I said, this was one of those uh, characters who you know, wound up being pretty one note. And I was just like, I don't even have a floor for them. And then like one thing we were like investigating through the grass, I stepped in the grass, I got bitten by snakes. Uh, So I decided, (laughs) so I just decided that's my floor. I now have an irrational hatred of snakes. And then we did some things, some hijinks occurred. I turned into a goat and we're just like, what's going on? All right, walk around, do some stuff, and the DM is just being silly. It's like roll a perception check, like roll, like you see two snakes in the grass. I'm like, I'm going for them. 
I'm like, I'm like, like what? I'm like, I I have got the I have got the stats here. I see there is a charge ability. Like they're more than 30 feet away, right? Yep. Okay. Well, charge. And then rolled a natural one. Oh no. <laughs> flipped over. So then the snakes attacked me again, but like I was on my back. So they got advantage and like one of them rolled a natural 20 and the goat only has four hit points. <laughs> so I was like, is that yeah. all out death? And they're like, no, 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 I'm not going to be that mean. I'm like, you can if you want. That was pretty stupid on my behalf. Like, no, 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 it's fine. So like the party like brought me back, still a goat, but like brought back. It's like, okay, we walked around for a bit. <laughs> and then there's just like roll perception check again. I'm like, you do it. They're like, you see the snakes again. They're looking at you from the grass. And I'm like, yeah, you think I would have learned my lesson? No, nah, I'm going for them again. <laughs> so <laughs> oh my God. Missed again. Didn't fall over this time, but once again, a goat has an AC of 10 and four hit points. Mm-hmm. So they just like bit me twice and I was down again. This is Curse of Strahd. You're supposed to be playing it like as sensibly as like you're like everything here can kill you, like be scared of everything. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I decided 10 minutes ago that my character now has an irrational hatred of snakes. The DM caught onto it, and it just like those snakes that bit you. They're now stalking you and mocking you from the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was, I, I, I ended up like apologizing to the table. I'm like, sorry, that was like a half hour derailing thing, and it was just me. Like that wasn't group related. That wasn't story related. I just got silly, and they were like, you know, that's fine. Uh, Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I find that interesting. Like, no, no, no. Let's let's see where this goes. I want to see if he. If he fails or succeeds against these snakes, this is suddenly more interesting than a vampire lord. I, I don't care about that anymore. I want to know what's going to happen here. <laughs> the the DM knows me and my ADHD way too well. <laughs> yeah. He just like gives me like a little thing like that. And I'm just like, sensible part of my brain's like, resist, resist, don't go for it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I had I had a similar thing actually. I talked about it on a past episode with um, uh, one of the voice actors actually that I work with, Spencer. Um, we were because this was in Pathfinder, but I had a character who was like a necromancer, and uh, basically he I wanted him to go hunting because we were out in the woods camping. And we found a badger and like a 5e badger is like a goat, you know, for hit points or whatever. Yeah. It's like they're not that bad. A Pathfinder badger is a monster. <laughs> this is an actual monster <laughs> with rage, like barbarian rage. So I didn't know that. I'm like, badger, kill it. And that thing brought me down to two hit points. I climbed up a fucking tree. It called its friends. I was channeling negative energy, trying to <laughs> decay their bodies, calling for help. Like, help! Like the ranger came over, started firing off arrows. They knocked out the fucking ranger. I'm, I'm looking at my DM like, the fuck is wrong with you? These are badgers. <laughs> they shouldn't be this strong. But That's... like, I was rolling very poorly too. So it was a lot on like a lot of it yeah. was my fault. And then my character had an irrational fear of badgers after that. Except I wouldn't call it irrational. I'd call it very rational. I think I think that's I think that's a trauma. I mm-hmm. think they. I think they have PTSD from badges. Yeah, yeah. And and like at least we were able to kill those ones, so they didn't taunt us through the grass, but I know for a fact that if we hadn't, it would have been the snakes for us. It would have been the same scenario of them just like following us around. Yeah, I I think that's my fatal flaw as a as a player. Like another game I was in recently we were playing Call of the Nether Deep, like just for a random 
random backstory fact I just like threw in while writing was my character once punched a shark. And the DM was just like, yeah, that's fine. Anyway, we got to a part in like uh like the opening level where you're swimming and like some sharks happen to be nearby and they oh. attacked me. And it's like, you're gonna try and get away. I'm like Well, we've established my character likes to punch sharks, so <laughs> guess who's fist fighting the sharks underwater? <laughs> I got out of that with like two hit points. Oh I was, I was like I was like, I had no right to survive that. <laughs> yeah, water combat, especially against water predators, has been a bane of my... Uh... Animals have just been really good at either yeah, killing or yeah. nearly killing me. I've noticed, especially in Pathfinder, like they're a lot stronger. I, ha- I made a... Uh... It was after that character. I made a an Undyne Monk, which is sort of like a water genasi. Um, and she was like a dervish dancer. Her AC could get super high. She had a swim speed, so she was super fast through the water. But because of that, I put no rank skill ranks into swimming. So I was like, well, I don't need it because I got this super fast swim speed. I'm good. Well, the problem with that is if you go up against another water creature, like a, something with a swim speed, then it comes down to a skill check between your skill, your swim uh, skills to see who can outswim the other. And... I didn't have any ranks in it because I got too cocky. So I ended up, uh, I, I got way f- too far away from my party, misplayed my character because I got way too cocky in its mechanics. I started wrestling a fucking giant saltwater crocodile in this marsh. Oh. <laughs> the thing was grappling me. I would escape the grapple, go as fast as I could. This thing would catch up to me, bite me, hit me, grapple me. Because again, in Pathfinder, you know there's like combat maneuver defense. So it wasn't necessarily my AC it was going against. It was going against that, which was a lot lower. So I was like, I'm going to die. And I did. I got killed by a crocodile before I could get back to my party. I was torn to shreds. And and it was like the first session I was playing this character. I was so upset. Uh. But it was my fault because I did that to me. Like I misplayed this character. I had them leave the party to go chase after some, some shit. And then that yep. thing summoned a crocodile, which killed me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's how it happened. Like, I remember, like, yeah, that Pathfinder campaign I started off with, we had just, like, we'd split the party, which, as you know, is great. Um, <laughs> and, like, three of us wound up fighting a golem, and the other three were just, like, a, a rather large beetle was just in the vicinity. Uh, anyway, so we... Somehow beat the golem, the three of us, and we were just like, yeah, let's go help with the beetle and charge down. That thing messed us up. <laughs> and it's like, the party's reunited, and we've got messed up by a, like a, like a large beetle. Like, yep. Like, we just, half the party just beat a golem. It's like, yep. Then you fought a beetle. It's like, this is some bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes to show, too, that, like, sometimes... Some enemies just seem a little bit like, uh, I don't know, like there are some things that look really scary and then, you know, you make a villain, they fall the second round or something like that, or the first round, even if you are really unlucky. Um, And then sometimes you have a throwaway like NPC or monster and that ends up being the bane of the party's existence, either because of their really good roles, the party's really bad roles, or maybe you just didn't look closely at the stat blocks of that monster and they're like a little bit better than you thought. You're like, oh, well, actually, and that can, yeah, um, that makes for the best stories, I think. Yeah, I think, I think two of the 
player deaths I've had, like personally as the player, have been from have been from like mobs. Like one was the face biters phase, sorry. The other one was when we were in the Feywild. That's a very old game, and I think it was Quicklings and a red cap. Mm. So the Quicklings, they got like um they have like pack tactics or something. I can't remember exactly. Took me yeah. down a lot. And then I was finally taken down by a red cap kicking me in the shin. <laughs> and Oof. it's like it's like this was like encounter two on like a on like what was supposed to be like the path to the boss. And it's like, well, the cleric's dead. I guess the I guess the bad guy gets away this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, I, I, I do find that like the Feywild has a way of kicking everyone's ass personally. Like or shins. Uh, shins, excuse me, shins. <laughs> because uh, they just like I had a like, I want to run a character idea before uh to you before we kind of close out the show here because I, I really like this idea and I haven't been able to really use it yet. Um but they have in the new uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight uh, supplement that they released. Um, mm-hmm. They have a, a new background called the Fey Lost, where you are a person who got lost or was raised in the Fey Wild, and therefore you have certain aspects of you that are kind of touched by that. Kind of like the Fey Touch Feet, but not as strong. Yeah. But essentially, like, you have this sort of connection, this deeper understanding of the Fey Wild than other creatures might. And it is, like, even changed your appearance slightly, that you have, like, a, di- a slightly different physical appearance because of that. And I thought it would be really funny, because one of the th- things on the table that you can roll is you can get, like, cat ears and a cat tail. So I was like, what <laughs> if I was just, like, a cat boy? Um, who fucking <laughs> hates the Feywild. They they grew up there and they hate it. And and like they get to the material plane and they're like finally a normal world. And for whatever reason, they like are a person of importance in the Feywild. Like they have a lot of connections and people like want them to come back for whatever reason. So they're kind of running away from that. Um, and it would be really funny that like people always see like, oh, wow, you've got like really weird features. Like you're like a cat boy or something. And you just be like, yeah, I was like a, a polymorph tabaxi, but it like failed halfway through or something like, like they're making shit up <laughs> to just not allude to that. And then when they finally do go to the Feywild, they're like, oh, God, no, please. Anything but that. And then like there's like sing songy Fey creatures and like riddles and stuff. They're like, fuck this. All right. Let me tell you how uh-huh. to survive here. Here's the rules. Don't eat the food here. Don't ever say thank you. Don't do this. And like they just hate it there, but they know how to survive. They're almost like like don't give anybody an inch; they'll take a mile, and you'll, it'll ruin your fucking life. I've seen it happen. I've seen people's lives get ruined here. It is not fun. It is not a good time. This is a terrible place, and we need to get out. <laughs> uh, first of all, love it. <laughs> I, think, uh, I I had one like I didn't have like the Fate Touch background, but I nearly played this character, but we went with something else at the last minute. As you know, that's just me. But um, we wanted to get the Simic hybrid from Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Mm. But instead of it being Ravnica, it's just like this person was like a Robertson Crusoe character that got trapped in the Feywild. And it's oh. like the the hybrid things are just like those extra growths and stuff that come. <laughs> so okay. like, it hadn't been experimented on. It's just like, hi, I've, uh, I've been here for 10 years. So, uh, What's that coming oh. out of your back? It's a tentacle. I got tentacles coming out of my back. Why? I don't know. 
<laughs> I like that someone introduces themselves and then they immediately show that up. Look, look at this hideous deformation. You need, you can't be here. You can't be here too long. Look what happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I ate a pomegranate. Next thing I know. It's like, oh, can you use those? Not for as much as you would think. They, no, no, they just, they tickle me at inopportune times. It's the worst. I was at a funeral and they started tickling me and I got thrown out. <laughs> They're very uh. slippery. I can't climb trees with them. You just slip right down. <laughs> I love it. The Feywild is truly wild. I, I love that, like, you can really do anything with it and people will be like, yeah, okay, sure, it's Phil. Why not? Like with the material yep. plane, there's a lot less you can get away with than with like the Feywild, because it's like, yeah. well, yeah, it is the world of fairies, so I guess it does make sense that like this thing that doesn't make sense is happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I think it's time for us to close this out. Kendall, would you please be a dear and tell everybody where they might be able to find you online? Oh, online. Oh, I was just about to give out my address. Uh, okay. Uh, if, if it's uh, Instagram, it is at Kendall the Human. If it's Twitter, it is at Kendall's Dumb, all one word. Uh, if you are on the YouTubes and want to watch the show I'm in, you go to Deerstalker Pictures and you watch One for All. You hit the like button and the subscribe thing and the bell icon. Sorry, I'm not doing the YouTube outro anymore. I, I was... <laughs> And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, no streams that I'm aware of coming up soon, but uh, it might be something I'm getting back into soon. So watch this space. Hell yeah. Go check him out. Go subscribe to Deerstalker Pictures. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so great having you on. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast.